The fundamental rights guaranteed under the Constitution of India, and in particular Articles 19 and 21 of the Constitution of India, are non-negotiable. These, there are two ways in which we can view this line about the sanctity of the rights to freedom of speech and personal liberty from the Supreme Court's order directing the immediate release of journalist Prashant Kanoja on Tuesday, 11 June. On the one hand, it could be viewed as the kind of stirring language that keeps finding its way into court judgments without having actually any real significance. After all, this line comes fairly early in this order as well and is not expressly linked to the operative part where Kanoja is granted bail. Moreover, when the uh, Apex Court has had the chance to really stand up for these rights, whether in the challenge to criminal defamation in 2016, or the Bhima Kodagama arrest last year, or even, whisper it, the Aadhaar case, such sentiments have been conspicuously absent. On the other hand, this statement could yet be of profound significance because it could perhaps be understood as the foundation stone of the court's order in favour of Kanoja. And if this is how it comes to be interpreted, it could just become a useful weapon for those arrested unnecessarily by the police for merely airing an opinion, no matter how ill-advised. So what exactly does the court order say? Justices Indra Banerjee and Justice Ajay Rastogi uh, were hearing a habeas corpus petition filed by Kanoja's wife, Jagisha Arora, and that's when they came up with this order. Habeas corpus petitions are one of the types of writ petitions which can be filed under Article 32 of the Constitution, and are generally used to bring forth someone detained by the government so that the courts can assess whether they've been lawfully deprived of their liberty. In Kanoja's case, the court framed the key legal question before it right at the start, saying, The question is whether the petitioner's husband, Prashant Kanoja, ought to have been deprived of his liberty for the offence alleged. Crucially, at the outset itself, the order notes that the answer to this question is prima facie negative. It's at this point that the line from the beginning of this article comes in, before the court jumps into the arguments by the state of Uttar Pradesh. The state authorities argue that this petition in the Supreme Court was not admissible since a local magistrate had already passed a remand order sending Kanoja to jail till 22nd June. In previous judgments, the Apex Court has said that in such circumstances, writ petitions under Article 32 cannot be filed and the detainee has to challenge that judicial order in an appropriate forum. They also argue that Kanoja or his wife should have approached the Allahabad High Court first before coming to the Supreme Court. The court's order proceeds to reject these arguments in an interesting way. The judges can see that these arguments are valid. However, it then no uh, the order passed by them then notes that the fundamental right enshrined under Article 32 to ensure the state follows the rules and how it treats you, cannot be, and I quote, rendered nugatory in a glaring case of deprivation of liberty as in the instant case. The judges took great exception to the fact that Kanoja had been remanded to custody till 22nd June, which meant he was facing 13 to 14 days in jail just for putting up some posts on social media. The judges then state that they, and I quote again, are not inclined to sit back on technical grounds. And so, by exercising their power to do complete justice, as it is under Article 142 of the Constitution, they dismissed the arguments by the government of Uttar Pradesh and ordered Kanoja's release. The order is expressly stated to have been passed in view of the excessiveness of the action taken by the authorities. Kanoja's arrest should not be viewed in isolation, notwithstanding the police's attempts to rake up his old social media posts and the which they've claimed to be offensive. The tweet that got him the police's attention and that was the basis for his arrest was a joke about a video in which a woman claims to be in love with UP Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath. She also says that they've been video chatting for some time and she wants to know if he loves her too. 
A day after the freelance journalist uh, was detained, the UP police also arrested the head of the channel Nation Live, which had broadcast the video, Ishita Singh, as well as its editor Anuj Shukla. One FIR was registered against the channel for issues with its license, but another FIR related to the video itself, even though it's just reporting a sort of what was a genuine story. But even this isn't the full picture. Just over the last couple of weeks, there have been a spate of arrests and criminal complaints against people for social media posts and WhatsApp messages, uh, which are supposedly, uh, which supposedly have objectionable comments about Prime Minister Narendra Modi, continuing a trend which has been in place for several years. Social media posts critical of Yogi Adityanath have led to numerous arrests in Uttar Pradesh, including under Section 66A of the Information Technology Act, even though this was struck down by the Apex Court four years ago. Unflattering comments on social media about West Bengal Chief Minister Mamta Banerjee have also led to arrest. The recent detention of BJP youth leader Priyanka Sharma for sharing a meme about her on Facebook led to widespread condemnation and the Supreme Court ordered her release as well. Though problematically, Sharma was also directed to issue a written apology to Banerjee upon her release. Manipur journalist Kishore Chandra Wangchem had to spend four months in jail after being arrested for criticizing the BJP and PM Modi in social media posts, including a video where he said that Chief Minister N. Biren Singh was a puppet of the Prime Minister. After he was released on bail by a lower court, the authorities slapped the National Security Act against him so that he could be detained again without trial for a year. And it only took, and it was only after the intervention of the Manipur High Court that these charges were dropped and he was released. In a remarkable turn of events, a BJP IT cell member in Assam was reportedly arrested by the Assam police on Thursday for posts on social media against the BJP government in the state and Chief Minister Sarbanan Sonowal. What this shows is that we have a significant problem in India of people being arrested and thrown in jail for social media posts which are either critical or make fun of politicians, especially if it's about the BJP. The problem isn't just about angry politicians or allegedly ordering arrests because they feel insulted. It's also about the police officers who register cases under provisions that are not applicable and then completely ignore required procedures when effecting arrests. It's also about the magistrates before whom the accused are produced who don't bother to see if the cases have any substance and who mechanically pass remand orders throwing people in jail for weeks at a time or where the NSA is involved months at a time. So will the Kanoja order help deal with this problem? The higher judiciary has thus far failed to come up with an overarching approach to this problem with any orders for release tending to be based on the facts and circumstances of the particular case. With no focus on the aspect that these cases all deal with essentially harmless social media posts. There are some who believe that the Kanoja order falls in the same category. Uh, it's, and I'm quoting here, it's individualized and case-specific, says Supreme Court advocate Apar, uh, and, and executive director of the Internet Freedom Foundation, Apar Gupta. In his view, the order is just about the direction to release Kanoja and that such orders ordinarily will not significantly alter or create any shift in the existing law. This is an entirely reasonable interpretation of the order and could well be what the court intended, since it doesn't pass any generalized directions against arrests for similar cases. However, the reasoning adopted by the court does give rise to an alternate viewpoint. Supreme Court lawyer Shadan Farasat, who represented Jagisha Arora in the case, is of the opinion that the court was making a broader point with this decision. Speaking to the Quint, he said, It was of the clear view that such high-handed police action is not permissible in a constitutional democracy. I think that's the broad principle on which the court gave the order today. At the very least, according to him, this order is meant to impress upon the police, not just in this case, but others as well, that they should not be arresting people for mere social media posts. 
And I'm quoting here again. I think this is a very important order to say that in cases of freedom of speech and expression, whether your view is palatable, unpalatable to somebody who is just a citizen or somebody who is high up in government, it does not matter. And certainly, you cannot use the state's coercive power of arrest in such cases. If at all you want to initiate some proceedings, that's open. But state's coercive power of arrest is an extraordinary power, which in these kind of cases can normally not be used at all. Now, what does it mean for fundamental rights to be non-negotiable? It's in this context that the court's observation about the non-negotiable nature of fundamental rights becomes relevant. For us, its interpretation of what this order says relies on an understanding that in a constitutional democracy, freedom of speech includes the freedom to criticize, to lampoon, and any decision by the state to deprive someone of their liberty should only be made where absolutely necessary. Constitutional scholar and lawyer Gautam Bhatia has written in a blog post that the court order, and I quote here again, rests upon the necessary inference that freedom of speech and personal liberty are such critical constitutional values that the deprivation of liberty for a pure speech offence, which would basically include uh, putting up posts or tweets, would ipso facto be presumptively illegal. Bhatia clarifies that this does not apply to incitement of imminent violence or public disorder, as these would not constitute pure speech offences. There is an actual attempt to engineer another crime there. But in cases of defamation, hurting religious sentiments, obscenity, etc., which do not amount to actual incitement, the court is essentially saying that there is no need to arrest someone, and doing so is excessively harsh. The wording of the order does offer support for this interpretation, from its mention of the glaring deprivation of liberty, to the reference of the number of days Kanoja has to spend in jail, to the specific reference to the harshness of the action taken. The question framed by the judges at the beginning of that order again does the same thing. But what really hammers the point home is that the judges took this action despite the fact that the Supreme Court has passed decisions clearly saying that writs of habeas corpus cannot be filed once a magistrate has passed a remand order. See, for example, State of Maharashtra versus the Sneem Rewan Siddiqui. The idea behind these precedents is that writs lie against the executive branch of government, but a magistrate's order is by the judiciary, not the executive. So, once a magistrate passes a remand order approving the arrest and providing custody, you have to follow the regular appeals process against that order, because it's no longer in the executive hands. Now, there is a way to argue around this. Uh, Farasat told uh, the Quint that they were ready to argue before the court that such precedents were not applicable where the lower court has passed an order without application of mine. And there is case law which could be used to support this view, like uh, SFIO versus Rahul Modi, a fairly recent uh, decision this year itself by the Supreme Court. In this case, it was held that if a magistrate passes a remand order mechanically without applying his mind, this isn't a valid order. And so the court can still assess the legality of the arrest and detention under a habeas corpus petition. In Kanoja's case, however, the court didn't even bother getting into this argument. As a matter of fact, the judges didn't even feel a need to hear the arguments from Kanoja's wife's lawyers. For them to dismiss the government argument as a technicality, as, as you'll remember we, we've specifically quoted, shows that they were indeed taking a bigger picture view here and putting the fundamental rights on a pedestal to protect them against the state's depredations. So where do we go from here? This order does not mean that India now offers USA First Amendment-style freedom of speech, you know, with no real restrictions. I mean, there are still reasonable restrictions on it here. The idea is just that the police should now understand that when it comes to social media posts and other pure speech, as Bhatia puts it, they can still register FIRs, they can still investigate complaints, file charge sheets, do whatever they think necessary, but they cannot just arrest people in these cases. Magistrates are being sent a clear message that mechanical orders 
granting custody just because the police have asked for it are excessive and will not be tolerated by the higher courts. Sure, this isn't going to magically stop such arrests and remand orders, especially in cases which don't involve journalists and are not high profile. We will no doubt see arguments by state authorities that this order is not actually some grand precedent, that it is only case specific, etc, etc. However, that doesn't take away from the potential this order has. Yes, the Supreme Court could have been more specific and yes, it should have probably ordered disciplinary action against the police officers and the magistrate in this case, you know, to show that there really will be accountability for this sort of abuse of process, which is probably one of the few things which might actually make the authorities sit up and take notice. But the order can still do its job for procedural rigor and protection of fundamental rights if relevant stakeholders see it through. Judges of the Supreme Court and the High Courts should adopt this rights-friendly interpretation in subsequent cases which come up before them. Lawyers in these cases need to keep making this argument, something which would be a lot tougher without this order. And the media, the media needs to step up, it needs to publicize and disseminate this order and its implications and raise questions based on what the court has said here every time someone gets arrested for social media posts or any other such statements. This should not be just when it's one of their own, but in every such case, regardless of whether the statements are tasteful or not. If all these things happen, we will hopefully begin to see the lower courts starting to exercise their discretion in such cases. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see more procedural discipline from them in not just cases about social media posts, but all issues involving the power of arrest, which is, at the end of the day, the best way of ensuring respect for the liberty of our citizens.